hello, and welcome to Hacks on Drac. I love how uh, quick you just <laughs> pop out of that. Right? It's. I think it sets the tone for what we're doing. It's spooky, but also uh, very goofy. <laughs> Uh, but this is a podcast mini-series examining the legacy of Bram Stoker's iconic vampire novel, Dracula. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Chris. And today, this is episode three of our podcast mini-series. In episode one, we talked about the novel, Dracula. Uh, our second episode, we talked about the silent Nosferatu from 1922. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we'll be talking about the first official uh adaptation of Dracula in film, the 1931 Bela Lugosi starring Todd Browning directed classic Dracula. Yes. Uh, Which probably is (coughs) the most iconic, I feel like. Probably. Of the Dracula, the major Dracula adaptation. This is the one, I think, because something we talk about a lot in this podcast is sort of like the mental image that people make when they think of Dracula. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the overarching theme of this podcast is that like everyone knows Dracula and is familiar with Dracula, but the Dracula we envision in our heads isn't, has, you know, very little in common from what the book Dracula originally was. Yeah. And uh, and most people, when they picture that Dracula in their head, it probably resembles cl- most closely this Bela Lugosi one, yeah. as far as like dress and demeanor, yeah. and which is nothing like described in the book at all. Nothing at all, <laughs> like what Bram Stoker intended for the character. Yeah. Um, and he is great in it. Bela Lugosi is he's pretty amazing he really (laughs) makes this it's his acting is so good in this movie it's it it's really a credit because when you actually sit down and watch this movie it's kind of boring it's really not Mm -hmm. like the best or like you know the most suspenseful or attention grabbing adaptation of dracula it does a good job of condensing the story yeah in a very digestible manner but as far as like if you're looking for like a something that keeps your attention yeah this is not that there's a lot of just you know boring white people talking in rooms to each other it is yeah but there's this. yeah and there's um so i was we bought i've watched this twice recently yeah and the same. first time was when we watched it with the uh philip glass um score that that was done yes like much later on um I just watched it just before you got here. We started recording. I just watched it with no score at all. And it's a much different experience. Yeah. Um, I think they both have their merits, but um, we'll talk about that more later. But um, yeah. But yeah, I think if you were to just order this on Amazon or something, it doesn't have the score in it. No. Because that's how it was released. Yeah. I, I own the Blu-ray version of this movie, which yeah includes the alternate score, because when Dracula was originally released, this is a very early talking picture. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of the earliest sound like horror major, films. Yeah. yeah. One of the first major, you know, talky horror films that there were. And the, I guess the the viewpoint at the time was that sound in a talking feature would be distracting because people wouldn't be able to distinguish the talking from the music. Like if, oh, if both yeah. were like happening at the same time or people would be confused because when you know you had silent movies, there was music happening, but that was just because the, the movie was silent. You just yeah. needed something there to kind of like spruce it up. So I guess they thought that people would be, be distracted. Yeah. So uh, that's why when you watch the original Dracula like the way it was originally filmed, there's music at the very beginning over the title cards, uh-huh. and then there's music during the opera scene when Dracula shows up because uh-huh. the music's part of what's happening. They're watching, you know, an opera, yeah. so there's there's music, and that's and that's why. Yeah, I remember watching um, after the Alan and Doctor Moreau came out, the uh, the Val Kilmer one. Oh yeah, Mar- with Marlon Brando. Brando. <laughs> um, I remember going back and watching the original. 
Island of Dr. Moreau came out like in the thirties and it's the same thing. There's, I don't think there's any music in it. Yeah. And the pacing is like soup. It just, it changes the whole vibe of, uh, of the movie. That said, the Philip Glass one, when did he do that? It was like late nineties. That was, yeah. So like in the, in the late nineties, they released the DVD versions Mm -hmm. of all the universal movies. And I guess Philip Glass, uh, had composed this before like they would do like screenings of dracula you know and he would kind of play as like a, he would have his orchestra there and they would do like a big concert where they played like the score while like the movie was playing and so in the late 90s he recorded like an actual soundtrack mm-hmm. and they put that on the the dvd release so if you go out and you buy like the the current blu-ray of dracula or m- m- like most dvd releases i'm not sure if there might be some like cheapo like five dollar like walmart releases of dracula that like don't have it but yeah. most most official universal releases of dracula will have the option to watch the alternate philip uh, glass version yeah. where he does a whole orchestral kind of very victorian very violin heavy mm-hmm. score and it's it's really neat sounding it's very kind of hypnotic it has a lot of like at the same time it also it's a little much it's a, it's a bit much yeah it's it's that and it's also just sounds way too modern even though like you could tell what he's going for yeah like, he's trying to make like a classic sound but it does yeah. sound like a very modern and digital kind of yeah, recording yeah. of it yeah um but in like yeah it is it, it's kind of a lot because they're you know when you have a score with a you know, with a movie there are scenes where you want there to be no music where things are intense and you want people to just be talking interacting with with each other but because this is a a concert piece you know like at the very beginning there's the scene where Renfield's in the cart going up the Borgo pass the music's like dun 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 it's yeah. like uh, okay let's calm the fuck <laughs> down the fuck glass <laughs> like we can just have silence for a second it's okay yeah um but but yeah, they're they're both kind of wa- worth watching. They're kind of their own unique experience. Yeah, I would. Mean, yeah, I definitely recommend watching both of them. Because um, um, even the one without any score is like still very creepy in parts, and I think solely because there is no score. Um, yeah. Yeah, we can get into that more later too. But uh, yeah, so I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, just kind of the general history of this version of Dracula because it really stems from the Dracula play, mm-hmm. which was first made in 1924 by uh, Hamilton Dean. And then it was revised in 1927 by John Balderston. And it's the, what the Broadway version of Dracula is based off of. And uh, this is the version of Dracula that officially gives us the Dracula that's interacting with our characters on screen. Because yeah. as you recall in the book, Dracula, He's more kind of just like an absent kind of menace who's kind of influencing people and weather and events from afar. Yeah, he's like this is like Dracula's like straight up in everyone's grill. (laughs) Dracula's yeah, he's he's hanging out, he's mingling with people, he's showing up at the theater. Like yeah, that's that's something yeah that doesn't happen in in the book. This one, so he's like a. He's very much a, a part of the story because, yeah, in the book Dracula, he's only in it at, like, the very beginning, and he kind of pops in and out. You see him every once in a while, and he's very much a freaky monster. Yeah, but his, yeah, his antics are limited, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so when they, yeah, when they decided to put this, when you have to turn something as big and crazy as Dracula into a play, mm-hmm. like, you kind of have to do little things to make everyone kind of fit, and yeah. so they kind of wisely i think chose to make dracula more less of a monster figure and more of kind of a a suave kind of monster in disguise sort of figure yeah and that kind of allows him you know to interact with our heroes and 
yep. things. And yeah, there's a lot of him, yeah, just showing up places and being like, "Hey, Dracula, <laughs> yeah, deal with it." <laughs> um, and and you know, in the play is also where we get a lot of uh, Dracula's classic look. You know, because in the mm-hmm. Dracula book, he's just described as he has a mustache, he has a unibrow, he has kind of gross hair, and he's dressed in black. So the the tuxedoed up kind of Dracula look. Yeah. That's very much an invention of the play. Right. Uh, Bela Lugosi based his kind of appearance on stage magicians. Um, Makes sense. Like, you know, mustache twirling kind of villain kind of looking characters. Uh, things like that. And interestingly, the cape with the long collar on it serves a practical purpose because when they did the stage version of this, the high collar made it to where, like, when Dracula would stand over a trap door at a certain point, the collar made it to where his appearance was obscured for a second. It looked like he was kind uh. of falling or rising out of the floor that's cool so yeah this entire iconic thing about you know dracula that we think is just well it one it looks badass yeah i think that's probably one but you know it it served a very practical purpose yeah i mean it's like uh the original batman serial i think is actually responsible for the bat cave the batmobile and alfred i don't think i don't know if any of those things were actually in the comics before that yeah it's Um, just something that's yeah it's just yeah and it's great when like that kind of stuff becomes as iconic um yeah yeah dracula is very much a character that's yeah like a patchwork of different things that kind of mm-hmm. come in you know yeah the batman thing it's you know mm-hmm. when you talk about like superman how like i think kryptonite's an invention of like the radio series or something oh, yeah. like it doesn't even come from comic books and then it kind of rolled yeah into it's comic like books. weird things like that that just get integrated into like the actual canon totally yeah um but yeah, and the, the Dracula play came about, interestingly, uh, rights-wise, because we talked about uh, Nosferatu, how Bram Stoker's widow didn't like yeah. the fact that they were making a movie based off her husband's work and she wasn't getting paid for it. She famously didn't like her husband's work very much, period. Like she, like we talked about in our first episode, once he became a full lawyer, like she only introduced him to people as like a lawyer, not yeah. as like a writer or yeah. like a play manager or anything. Um, but she super didn't like that she wasn't making money off of his work either, you know, when other people were. So she, you know, took Nosferatu down. Uh-huh. But in all the court, everything that happened with that, she was, you know, low on money. So when Hamilton Dean came up to her and wanted to, like, make a play off of it, she, you know, made a deal very easily. And and that's how they, they kind of got off to this. So it's it's also interesting that this thing that's iconic kind of just keeps living by like financial necessity almost it's like like she didn't give a shit about dracula she just like really needed money and just really didn't like that other people were kind of licensing yeah and it's kind of crazy because like uh her it's like kind of ironic that her um basically making nosferatu like not exist anymore was like kind of like it i think that sort of added to the legend of Dracula a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's like but the then, Barbara Streisand effect where she tried to make it go away and then it kind of just made it more yeah, popular. I think uh, people were probably like, you know, telling each other stories about like, oh yeah, have you heard about that movie Nosferatu? <laughs> it's really cool. We should make an American version of it. And like <laughs> that's what led to it. That's like what led to this getting made. For sure, yeah. That and her needing... That sweet, sweet Stoker. <laughs> that Stoker sweet Dracula money. money. Uh. <laughs> so 
so it became a, it was a pretty big bit, uh, big hit on Broadway. It became a big hit on Broadway in very big part because of Bela Lugosi and uh, something that gets left out. I think a lot when people historically talk about Bela Lugosi's uh, you know portrayal of Dracula is that women really liked Bela Lugosi. Like women thought that he was like attractive and hot, and they yeah. came out to see. He was pretty hot. <laughs> I mean, he, he he's a pretty suave guy, you know. Um, but you know, like everyone talks about, you know how how interesting his you know Dracula is for kind of you know the the supernatural and kind of yeah. vampire aspects, but uh, but people don't talk about the kind of you know he was he was some man meat in his time, I guess. Uh, <laughs> man meat. And and he was very proud that the Dracula that he made was a creation of his kind of acting instincts and everything, and that he was because, you know, every subsequent you know production of the play you know was essentially doing his version of Dracula, mm-hmm. and he was the one that kind of created this version of him, you know, and and he was you know very proud of that and attached to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we could we could get into how this started to become a movie because oh, yeah. because this became a big hit on Broadway and uh you know and Universal was looking to start putting out movies uh Carl Limley Jr who was the head of production there uh saw the you know the hit potential of Dracula the hit potential of uh Bela Lugosi because uh the touring version of Dracula performed in Los Angeles like the year before or something oh. and he had just come out on a whim to see it decided that it might be a good idea to to turn Dracula into a movie, but he had to sell his father, Carl Lindley Sr., who was kind of like the head of Universal Pictures, to make it, and he was kind of hesitant because they had made other movies that were horror-ish, but, like, horror is a drama, like, a full genre wasn't really a thing yet, you know, like, the closest you had was, like, The Phantom of the Opera, which that's, you know... And when did Phantom of the Opera come out? Like, was that... I was 25. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and like, that was a silent movie, right? Right. And uh, you know, and they'd done stuff, you know, like they'd like Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Like I think they'd like adapted like The Black Cat or something at that time. Yeah, but this but, was like the first like big. Yeah. This is kind of like the I don't know like the Conjuring of its time, I guess. Yeah, like no one had made some a movie that was just like straight up that was this mass marketed anyway. That mm-hmm. was you know, and made by a major studio that was just this straight up scary. And that's why like a lot of the marketing around Dracula, it came out around Valentine's day, it came out in February. And a lot of the marketing played up the, the romance aspect, you know, that, you know, Jonathan Harker and his, you know, fiance are you know, being torn apart by the supernatural influence and really played up more of that aspect of it than wow. Dracula and the marketing. It came out on Valentine's day, 1931. There you go. And when Frankenstein was like shortly after this, Frankenstein was shortly yeah after this, and I think they were like, okay, Dracula was a hit, so now we can just start just making start, <laughs> start cranking them out. <clears throat> Carl Lindley Jr. wanted to turn Dracula into a movie, wanted Bela Lugosi, but his father wasn't quite sold on Bela Lugosi, and they talked about a number of other people taking on the role, including uh, including Lon Chaney, I think. There was talks at one point to have Lon Chaney play both uh, Van Helsing and Dracula, which would have been interesting to see. Yeah. But uh, but something happened, and I'm I'm not sure. Like I think Lon Chaney decided to sign on with MGM for a couple more years because he was insecure about money, and they offered him a better deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Todd Browning, the director of Dracula, was actually Lon Chaney's longtime director at MGM, so they got him on first. Oh wow! So the entire reason he's attached to the movie. It's because he thought Lon Chaney was gonna be. <laughs> Because he thought Lon Chaney was going to be in it. 
Uh, Man, he must have been pissed. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was probably happy with the result that he got because, yeah, when you watch Dracula, like we said, uh, Bela Lugosi is Dracula. Like, yeah. when he's on screen, it's yeah crazy great. But yeah. uh, but a lot of the other scenes aren't <laughs> as good. And there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many shots of just a close-up of Dracula's face that doesn't line up with the shot the previous shot <laughs> the there, there is a lot of that yeah <laughs> but i like it i mean and he's clearly like he's just perfect for the role it's like you know seeing christopher reeve as superman it's like yeah that's uh that's him it's like they were they were like it was like it was meant to be and uh like when you watch dracula it very much feels like a movie that's made based off a stage play because yeah there's lots of shots of just boring white people and and just a giant room talking to each other and then like and then dracula wanders into the room and says some things to them like like dracula just like straight up kramers into like the like the seward residence like several times like they're just talking then just like dracula's like oh and and then like Renfield keeps escaping and then he just es- happens to escape into the room full of all the people that he's trying to avoid. Like if, if it's, I, I have so many notes on this, but yeah, <laughs> if it was like a play, but like those are little things that you can kind of like suspend your disbelief when you're watching a play, you know, and yeah. it's just like a big open stage and people have to kind of wander on. But when you're watching a movie, it's very weird yeah, to totally. have that happen. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, the, the characters are all, there, there are some other good characters in this. Like, I really like the guy that plays Van Helsing in this. I oh, think he does great. a good job. He played opposite Bill Lugosi on Broadway also, oh, wow. so they had an acting chemistry. That's cool. Um, I, what is that guy's name? I can't for the life of me. I've got it right here. Edward, Edward. Van Sloan. Yeah. Uh, and this was actually his very first movie, I think, uh, wow. Dracula. He's and, like 60 in it. Yeah, he He's has... probably like 25. His, his haircut makes him look like Guile from Street Fighter. <laughs> Guile from Street Fighter are like Hugo Strange, the Batman villain. Yeah. He's got the same glasses. Also, um, he's kind of got... He's got Ben Wasserman glasses. <laughs> he does have Ben Wasserman glasses. That one's for if, you, Ben. Yeah, he's not listening to this. <laughs> um, but yeah, he looks... He's 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 got a, a cool look. Uh, cool look. He's got a cool look. Yeah, and this is this is kind of the beginning of the, you know, when people, a lot of people talk about Dracula, they talk about, like, the Dracula-Van Helsing rivalry, you know, yeah. that's like, it's almost like a, you know, like a Hatfields and McCoys through the ages kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, Batman-Joker sort of thing. Yeah, like, they're, like, arch nemeses to, to the end, you know, Holmes, Moriarty, but, like, again, in the original Dracula, like, Van Helsing is kind of just one of an ensemble trying to stop the supernatural influence of this thing, kind of. yeah. They don't really face off against each other, so it's in yeah. the theatrical Dracula and then in the movie Dracula, which is based off of the the play Dracula, obviously, um, that we get that kind of head to head with them. And we're not quite at the point yet where Van Helsing is like a like a you know stake wielding you know mm-hmm. vampire killing. Yeah, machine. this one he's kind of just like. He's kind of like learning as he goes. He's kind of just like an old man doctor who shows up and he knows a lot about vampires and he's, but there's, there's, I like there's, there's like an intensity where even though like Van Helsing isn't quite like the, the actiony Van Helsing that we kind of get to see in like the, you know, like the Christopher Lee movies and kind of later adaptations, there's, he has a, he has a very good, strong resolve to him. There's the great scene in, in the 1931 Dracula where Bela Lugosi tells, you know, Van Helsing to come to him and it's like a very intense scene where he's mm-hmm. just like standing there opposite of Van Helsing you know he has his hand kind of out toward him and he kind of like twists it around and like a you know come here kind of gesture yeah. and it looks like Van Helsing's gonna move for a second and then he doesn't and he like stands up straight and it's yeah. 
I like dramatic stuff like that. It's, yeah, yeah. It's and good it, stuff. I mean, Dracula's powers overall are pretty. I mean, there's a lot of the shape shifting, but we don't ever actually see it. No, just that like... never happens on screen ever. <laughs> I like how they deal with it though. I mean, the bat does look cool. He be, he can turn into a big rubber bat. Big rubber. <laughs> Let's big... talk about Dracula's appearance and powers, I guess, right, yeah. a little bit. So we already talked about how he looks. How he looks like a magician, his cape and everything. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, so his powers. He can shape shift. He turns into a wolf in this off-screen yeah they just off-screen they describe <laughs> what looks like a, a huge dog and then van helsing's like oh it's a, a wolf and they're and the wolves are described as talking to renfield also yeah in this so yeah. there's a lot in this movie of like things that are like mentioned off-screen that you just never see yeah which i i i like that i mean which you have to do i guess for something for budgetary for, reasons back for a then, universal sure. movie made in 1931 <laughs> based off a stage play you know i mean like, this movie looks like it's an expensive production though like you could tell like they put some money into this um his castle oh yeah the dracula's castle like, looks great is, yeah it's amazing um you know and even the the set you know where when you the first time you see dracula and you know and it's just down in like this yeah like oh, basement and there's like just like smoke coming from random yeah. spots on the ground and then you just see like a shot of like a possum for a second and you see a possum you and see, you see the vampire brides and then it just cuts back and just dracula's just there and he's got yeah. this intense look on his face as the camera pushes in yeah so good um, there is a, a scene later on where mina's like discussing a dream that she had about dracula and she kind of refers to his face like appearing in a mist and i don't know if that's like if that's just like a dream or if like that actually happened and like they're just referencing the fact that dracula can in fact turn into a mist <laughs> if he wants but uh we'll we'll count it yeah we'll count sure. it he can turn into a mist question mark <laughs> if anyone's keeping like a, a list of all his powers and various adaptations yeah um he doesn't appear in mirrors that's yeah very well established in this one mm-hmm. um in a really cool scene too it's yeah. much later on than in the book but uh yeah there's a great scene where yeah van helsing sees in a mirror that you know dracula doesn't show his appearance and this happens yeah like at the very very end of the movie as yeah. opposed to in the book where jonathan harker's shaving at the beginning and he can't see in his appearance and van helsing like faces dracula like immediately with it he's like i want you to look at something yeah. and he opens dracula his box with like, the mirror in it he's like get that get that shit out of <laughs> yeah, here yeah he looks like he looks like he just drank like sour milk and he kind of just like <laughs> bitch slaps it out of yeah. van like, helsing's what the hands what are you doing man dracula sleeps in three boxes in this one yes, three boxes. <laughs> for those keeping Dracula's many changing numbers of boxes. He sleeps in 50 boxes in the book. book. He sleeps in like five coffins in Nosferatu, Mm -hmm. even though toward the end, he just has one coffin that he carries around like a goofball everywhere. And then in this (laughs) one, he tells Renfield at the beginning that he's sending three boxes. So we're back to boxes in this one. I love the way he says that too. He's like, I'm taking with me only three. I read this in my notes. I'm taking with me only three uh boxes <laughs> like they're coffins they're not boxes right i'm well i mean in this one when you get to the very end it does just kind of look like he's in a box oh, like it's, it's a box yeah but he sleeps yeah he sleeps when we get coffin. to some of in abbott and costello meets frankenstein he sleeps in a coffin yeah well he sleeps in a coffin in this one but he refers to only taking three boxes with him to london yeah, I think all three of those boxes are just the boxes that he sleeps in. Yeah, all right. And he's just in one of them. Yeah. But he does sleep in a coffin in this one, right? 
I don't think he does. I think he just sleeps in a box. Oh, I think right. he just sleeps in those boxes. He only he's only in the box and at the part when he's on the ship, and then the part and, at the very the end, end when yeah. when Van Helsing finds him yeah. and kills him in the most anticlimactic <laughs> Dracula <laughs> ending ever committed to film. Uh, so, are there any other powers of his? Or I think that, we can think of. I think that about covers it. Yeah. Okay, so we can start talking a little bit about the the characters and the plot because as we said before, this movie kind of feels like it's maybe not the best adapted version of Dracula, but yeah. as far as like storytelling and plot wise, it's very well streamlined and condensed. Yeah, it's not like a faithful adaptation, really. But at the same time, for a movie that's only like seventy five minutes long, like they. They get the whole story. You get the whole story in there, the whole more story or less. In there. And, like, I think the changes that they made to the characters, especially having Renfield being the a Harker stand-in at the beginning, um, it makes a lot more sense. Like, it's, like, it's kind of, like, less confusing in a, in a way. Yeah. Because in the book, it's, like, Renfield's already under Dracula's control. Well, Renfield and... in the book is just crazy, just in general, to begin with at the beginning. Yeah. And then Dracula kind of manipulates him as the book continues and uses him to get into the facility to get to Lucy because vampires can't go anywhere uninvited. Yeah. So he kind of manipulates just an already insane person to kind of yeah. do what he needs to do. Yeah. And then in Nosferatu, he's that Gargamel-looking guy who's, who's Jonathan Harker's, like... <laughs> boss and then later he just goes crazy for no reason yeah yeah that's why i and like kind of under dracula's influence i kind of like because like you never well in the book you don't see the transformation of renfield right he's just crazy from the get-go no he's just crazy from the get-go and then dracula kind of just takes advantage of that yeah that's why i like i like how in this it's like you kind of see him yeah. go insane and it makes and and renfield's kind of like a tragic character in this one which i like because in mm -hmm. all the other ones he's kind of just like he's uses like the comedy relief or yeah. to kind of just creep up everything and he's always just kind of like Bugs. gleefully just like but in this one yeah he's kind of he takes on the jonathan harker role where he's the one who goes to uh, Transylvania to sell Count Dracula property in London. Yeah. And then Dracula hypnotizes him or starts, you know, to turn him into a vampire. Because I think the deal in this one is that, like, Dracula, like, he can bite you and, like, before you die, like, you just kind of are under his spell. And mm -hmm. once you die, and you then you fully become a vampire. Right. Uh, so he does that to Renfield. And then they both get on the ship back to London. And then once they get there, like you know the authorities kind of find him and he's just like crazy and then he gets put in the asylum so it's that all happens very this all happens uh i wrote it's 18 minutes in and you're already on the boat back to london yeah like the other <laughs> so ones they, make such a big deal about his his trip over to, yeah. to transylvania and this one and they're this, like there for a night which i i but i kind of like that though because like they were pretty it's pretty obvious they were like no we need to get dracula to london and this movie's going to be dracula in london and yeah. like and you know the pacing it like works because, it, you know, we've discussed before how the book is kind of, like, unfilmable in a way. Because <laughs> it does spend... It's almost unexplainable. Yeah, <laughs> like, I yeah. almost had a meltdown trying to do it. <laughs> it's, uh, but, like, you know, the book is kind of, like, divided into three parts. Whereas, like, you see, like, the voyage to Dracula's castle and all the shit that happens in his castle. And then the ship is, like, the second part. And then the third part's London. And this is just, like, yeah, let's get him to London as quickly as possible and make it more about him interacting with these characters in london like a very frank 
and straightforward way. Totally. Um, but it, going back to like Renfield and how they condense him and Harker together, and how I really like that because you get to see Renfield at the beginning, and he's a very sane and proper person, and then you see him go crazy, and then as the movie goes on, it's a very kind of, um, like he like he's crazy, he consumes spiders and flies, but he's like he knows that it's not right that he's doing it. He's kind of, yeah. at one point he has to be taken away from there so he doesn't put anyone's life in jeopardy. Did they he, ever explain what, like, what, like why he's obsessed with insects? Is it, is I think it's just, just that like Dracula promises him lives and because he's lower than Dracula, he has to take lower lives. Humans. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, well, as far as like in this adaptation and like Nosferatu probably go, I think in the original, I think in the original one, he's just obsessed with consuming like small lives, period. Because remember, like he keeps a tally where like he feeds like this many like flies to a spider and that uh -huh. equals like five lives. And then he takes all those spiders and he feeds them to, like a bird or something. And then right. that equals like so many like he's just it's just a weird obsession he already has. But I think in this one, it's explained. Um, yeah, that he that he's Dracula like, pr promises him. Yeah, because remember he has that dialogue where he's like, and you promised me lives, remember, Master? Right, 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 when right. they're on the boat and Dracula kind of just like his hands out for a second and then it goes back in his box. Yeah. So I, I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And um, then, so Mina is now Seward's daughter. daughter. Yeah, instead Jonathan's of... his her fiance. Yeah, because Dr. Seward in the book is Lucy's ex-suitor who kind of just becomes... Oh, right. Yeah, who kind of just becomes like a doctor friend. So they completely change Seward in this. They completely change him. Yeah, the only the only thing he has in common with the book version is that he owns the sanitarium that Renfield's in. Right, right. And uh, and I think that's kind of like a a wise way to kind of it. It gives everyone like well, a, it cuts out the whole like love triangle yeah, storyline. But it keeps and, everyone still invested in each other in a way that feels organic. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So and Lucy's in in this just as well, Lucy's, pretty much the same as yeah she usually is. But. Lucy, yeah, she does even less in this. Like in the original one, like she kind of has more of a character in this one. She's kind of just cannon fodder right from the beginning, mm -hmm. and she you know gets eaten by Dracula pretty quickly, mm -hmm. and then is just described as being like a vampire that's eating children. And you yeah. see like one shot of her in white for like three seconds, and that's yeah. all you get of her as a vampire. <laughs> and the actress looks very similar to Mina. That it's a little confusing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have, like, the same hair everyone style. looks the exact same in this movie. Like yeah. it's I'm... even like Harker and Renfield look pretty identical. They dress exactly the same. Yeah. Like oh yeah, Harker Harker does nothing in this movie. Basically, yeah, like he's just that's like the there. one problem with condensing basically the Harker and Renfield character into Renfield is that that gives nothing for Jonathan Harker to do. Yeah. Like as we've talked about in other episodes, Jonathan Harker is a dumbass essentially in every <laughs> adaptation that features him prominently. But at least there's something notable about it. And that mm -hmm. he's a, a dumbass who, you know, seem who can't see danger like five seconds in front of his face. Yeah. Well, then Renfield's also that idiot too. Yeah. Like um, in this one, in this one, yeah, it's just, it's just that Jonathan Harker is uh, Mina's fiance, and he's just worried about her. Yeah. And that's he all he's given to do is just be concerned. About yeah. And Mina. he goes with Doctor Van Helsing at the end to put a stake in Dracula, and then he doesn't even do that. And it's that's all he does. He didn't have the guts. He just watches from afar. But, uh, but, and something else that you just reminded me of talking about how, like, Renfield's, like, the dumbass in this one, it feels mm -hmm. less like going to Transylvania is a dumbass move in this by making Dracula a little bit more of, like, a normaler person. Yeah, Do you absolutely. think so? Yeah, because, you know, he just seems kind of like an eccentric dude in this one. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, it does make him less of an idiot for, although he does, like, walk into his castle and it's, like, 
really fucking filthy. There's cobwebs it's just decrepit. And there's like there's armadillos. There's like holes around. in the ceiling and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty decrepit. Uh, his bedroom is a little cleaner. Where uh, <laughs> he knows where to keep the important places. He doesn't. He doesn't host a lot of company, yeah. but he's he knows how to keep a homey touch. You know. Um, but you think he would have been like. He's still an idiot. You think he would have been like, no, Aaron, these people in the village already warned me about this dude. <laughs> and uh, and this castle is really, really creepy. So. so there's like the guy in the caravan. It's like the first scene, I think it just starts in a caravan. Yeah, so when the, the movie starts at the very beginning, yeah, we're on the caravan where... Renfield is going toward the village where he's going to catch a transfer up yeah. to, to Dracula. And they're already, they're dropping Nosferatu, vampire. Yeah, the in, in fact, fun fact about the very first person that talks in this uh, is, I think it's Carl Limley's niece, Carla Limley. Oh, okay. Uh, who's the, the one who has the brochure is like something something about the Borgo Pass and then she like flops over on someone. Yeah. She's yeah, that's, that's like the, the niece producer's of niece. of the producer. And weird fact about her is I was watching a special feature on the Dracula Blu-ray about the making of it hosted by her where she's like in her like she's 80s alive. or something. Well, this was this was made. I think this is like from the very oh, first okay. DVD. This is like an old yeah. feature that they had. And uh, and she was hosting it, and she talked about that, and she like starts like creeping on uh, Frank Langella halfway through because they talk about <laughs> later on in another episode we're gonna talk about the Frank Langella Dracula, but they're describing it for a second. She's like, I wish if I had been in another adaptation, I had been in that one because and she starts like <laughs> making all this like weird like making all these weird comments toward Frank Langella. It's very entertaining. Yeah. If you ever wanted to watch like an 80 year old woman creep on another uh, man that plays Dracula, I highly recommend the special features on the Dracula Blu-ray. Yeah. And when he gets off the caravan, like they're all like telling him like, don't go up there or whatever. Yeah. He gets off and this like, this dude is like, he's straight up telling him, he's like, no, Dracula is a vampire. He lives <laughs> up there with his three vampire wives. <laughs> and he's like, oh, whatever. And he's then, like, uh, I have business. I have to do it. Yeah. He even tells him like when the sun goes down, like that's when they come out of their coffins. And it's exactly what happens. <laughs> and there's, I, I love the overacting of everyone in the village because he's like, I'm going up to the Borgo Pass. And there's just this guy with like this giant walrus mustache. Yeah. He's like, you're going up to the pass? <laughs> The castle? <laughs> and like his head is like trembling and shaking. Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> like, it's, it's so great. Yeah, he's he's pretty comical. That, I, I like how like all these, at least the early adaptations, like how kind of funny these actors are. Like they're just like really overacting. Yeah, you get like, like the bit players are all like so just like hammy. Yeah, I mean you also have to wonder if it's number one based on a play but also a lot of these actors probably started acting on the stage and oh, yeah. it's like a much different acting style. Yeah, you're, you they're be... like playing for the back row yeah. and they don't realize that when you have something that's recording five seconds in front of you, yeah, you, you don't have to be subtle. like, Dracula! He's a vampire! Like... Yeah, so he gets, well, yeah, so the Dracula picks him up and that for, so yeah, you see Dracula emerge from his coffin with his wives. Yeah, which this is the first film adaptation of Dracula's Brides. Oh, okay. We cool. should say, because yeah, they don't show up at all in Nosferatu. Right. And I think, were there three of them or were there just, I think there were just two of them. Maybe. No, there's, there's definitely Oh, were three. there three? Yeah. Um, well, a fun fact about two of them, at least, that I saw on the 
uh, trivia track on Dracula that I had on while I was watching it earlier today. Uh, one of them was a stand-in for Marlene Dietrich, and uh, <laughs> she was like an actress back in the '40s, and she like did like stand-in work for a lot of famous actresses. But another one of those actresses' uh, careers was ruined by the Red Scare in the '50s. She was blacklisted from Hollywood. Oh wow! So yeah, for having supposed communist ties. And then later just went on to have a yeah, successful Dorothy, like vocal coach career. Dorothy Tree. That's crazy. Yeah, so all of the wise is it, but you see I think you see one of the wise before you even see Dracula. And then so they have like that great first shot of Dracula. Like he's coming he comes out of his coffin and um Yeah, you're just down in the basement of the castle and yeah. there's like all the smoking craters and you see like possums. Possums, you see some bugs. And you see like his brides for a second. And I love yeah. that you don't even see Dracula like emerge from his coffin he's no, just like just, the camera just cuts just back there. he's just there yeah which is great and it's like a su- um, super iconic shot um the way they light his eyes too like they have these like two like tiny spotlights yeah on his oh, eyes God. i love highlighting like that yeah you used to see that a lot you don't really like because it's probably you watch, like, incredibly hard to do <laughs> when you watch like old star trek episodes and like captain kirk's eyes are like highlighted or oh i never noticed that or like when you watch like the Adams family, how well, the like... Adams family, yeah, that's like the Morticia Adams, yeah, like that's what I always think of when I see that. Um, but I imagine it's very hard to do. <laughs> it's probably blinding too, like it's kind of yeah. <laughs> it's like staring into the sun and just trying to look cool the whole time. Um, but yeah, so you see that first shot of Dracula, and then like it just cuts to another shot of Dracula, but in his disguise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just his. It's just his fate, and it's like a, it's like super comical, like watching the, like the, it's like oh cool, that's Dracula, he's badass, and then it just cuts to him like in his dumb disguise. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, so yeah, we've talked about before how Dracula and basically every adaptation disguises himself as the carriage driver that takes Renfield yeah. up to the castle. In the original book, he's definitely. Uh, the one who's driving, but he's pretty well disguised. We talked about how in Nosferatu, he has like a silly Robin Hood hat on. Yeah. And he's got kind of just like his stuff bunched up around him, but it's very obviously Nosferatu. And in this... Later adaptations, I think they went to greater lengths to make it, you know... To to obscure it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But in this one, yeah, he's kind of just wearing like a scarf around his head and like a <laughs> and like a Jason Mraz hat, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's his disguise. And his, and his face looks exactly the same, and I think his eyes are still lit up. The and same his way. eyes are still backlit, <laughs> and that kind of makes Jonathan Harker seem like a or Jonathan Harker makes Renfield, Renfield seem like a dumbass because yeah. like when you get there and your cart's driven by a guy who looks the exact same as the guy, yeah, you're visiting at their house. I know. But there is a cool shot because, yeah, so Renfield is taken from carriage, from, you know, the village full of overacting people up to the Borgo Pass. And uh, he gets off. He sees Dracula in his Jason Mraz hat uh, driving the carriage. And he gets in the carriage, and the carriage starts to take him up to Dracula's castle. And he looks out the window at one point, and there's this great shot where everything's just like foggy in front. And you see like the horses galloping, and there's just like a bat hovering yeah. above the horses it's, there's no driver i love that yeah such a cool shot it's really cool and renfield's like freaked out and spooked out and yeah my notes for that part it just wrote dracula flies in front of the caravan as a goddamn bat <laughs> <laughs> so cool and yeah. yeah and then the carriage gets to dracula's castle and there's just no one driving it or anything yeah and he's just like what like where and then he's like where's my luggage like what the fuck is going on <laughs> which is much cooler than in nosferatu when he just has to make jonathan the jonathan harker allegory like hike for 20 minutes so he can get the carriage around comically fast, I guess, yeah. to be yeah. out and be Dracula in time. Yeah. Um, it's also very, the whole, like, the dinner scene, which I was just reading, um, Harker 
or Renfield cutting his finger is like taken directly from the Nosferatu uh, adaptation. Yeah. Um, where it's like it's basically like a shot for shot recreation of it, uh, which is cool. But um, what else was it? Gonna, oh, so it's like also just very condensed, like. Again, this is before 18 minutes into this movie, they're on the boat already. So, like, within like 12 minutes or so, like, they he's already signed the lease. He cuts his, you know, cuts his finger. Dracula almost tries to suck the blood. Dracula um, says, We're leaving tomorrow on a yeah, boat. He says, We're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> it's just like, oh, Which yeah. Which in the original book, yeah, Jonathan Harker's there for like a month and some change, least, just being yeah. like fucked with in a very homoerotic way. And there's none of that. <laughs> none of it, yeah. <laughs> But again, <coughs> this movie seems dead set on just getting Dracula to to, to London. So, um, <coughs> but yeah, so he's just like, I chartered a boat. We're gonna leave tomorrow. And then after that, like that's when the Dracula brides show up, which they're yeah. they're not really depicted in this as like the voluptuous, you know, like kind of sexy kind of thing. They're very sedate. They're just dressed in white. They just yeah, kind of like hover in. Yeah. And then Renfield slowly. faints. And then Dracula shows up as a bat and then turns into Dracula, which we never see Dracula turn into a bat on screen. That all happens off screen. Yeah. But then once he has a bat, he's a big rubber thing that's very <laughs> obviously being held on a string if you watch the Blu-ray. Um, yeah. It's adorable, though. And I then, like yeah, that. and then we get to the, the boat and the boat scene, which you're talking about influences from Nosferatu. That's mm-hmm. taken pretty directly from Nosferatu, yeah, all the boat actually, stuff. Uh, you probably read this too, but those scenes were actually from another universal movie <laughs> of the, the. Oh, yeah. The, not, not the shots inside the boat, but like. But you, like the stock the footage storm, of like the yeah. storm. Yeah. And that's why yeah. they're like in a different frame rate. They look like they're taken from like a Buster Keaton movie from like. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Yeah. It looks like a movie where like they're like hand cranking like the projector to make like the frames go like there's Yeah, it's lifted from a universal silent film called The Stormbreaker, which came out in nineteen twenty five. Um but that's why it's cause I guess silent films were filmed at a different um projection speed. Yeah. So like it looks like oddly sped up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely not made in the same production yeah. as the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um Yeah, the boat scenes are cool in this one too. And I, I love, like, yeah, like when you see, like you get to the very end when the boat shows up and the, the scene where the captain's tied to the mast is all yeah, shown in shadow. shadow, yeah. And that's like an interesting thing to talk about is Todd Browning, the director of this, he was a silent director, kind of first and foremost. Mm-hmm. He kind of admittedly had trouble transitioning into like the talkie era. So like a lot of the coolest stuff in this is all just like very silent and, you know, and yeah. like especially all the Dracula stuff is all communicated very much with like motion. You can almost turn the movie on mute at times and yeah. still get what's happening Absolutely. until you get to a scene where it's a bunch of white people in a room <laughs> talking to each other. And then you're like, shit, and I have to turn it on to watch Renfield do a 10 minute monologue about cool shit we'll never get to see on the screen. Yeah. But that scene where the captain's tied to the mast, yeah, it's all shown in shadow. You just see like the silhouette of just this captain tied yeah, to this just, like wheel. You hear wheel like someone and, just discuss like what what happened basically yeah. and you get um, like a brief cutaway to like a an article about the shipwreck which is actually written like an actual news article which yeah. because we talk about in dracula the book there's like news articles that happen but they're all written in the same flowery bullshit prose that uh-huh. bram stoker writes everything <laughs> where you're like no news editor would take this as a story there's like two paragraphs where you're describing like the sunset yeah well the he- so the headline of that article that you see is crew of corpses found on derelict vessel which is just a great headline yeah but, but I, then the, the next shot is like the actual part of the article and 
they there's a sentence which just says soul survivor a reigning maniac who, <laughs> who eats bugs that's <laughs> what it says just gotta all the facts yeah this this movie wastes no second yeah i mean they also like you never actually even see ren do you even see renfield get bitten by the wives i think it cuts before that yeah i, th- I don't then, think you actually see any of that yet all like then, fades out and then yeah. it cuts up and then the next the shot, ship, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's already on the boat, and, he and looks, he's already crazy. He's already he's... crazy, yeah. And Dwight Fry does such a good job playing Renfield in this. Like we said, it's 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 very interesting because yeah, he begins the movie very you know competent and mm-hmm. you know straight laced and you know professional, and then he very convincingly turns into a crazy person, and then very convincingly later in the movie you buy that like he's crazy, but he doesn't want to be, and he's conflicted. Yeah, and... yeah. Absolutely. And uh, but he unfortunately also like Bela Lugosi, uh, which we can talk about here in a bit, uh, got kind of typecast in these roles where he was playing just like insane kind of henchmen. He played oh, really? kind of a similar role in Frankenstein where he plays the hunchback proto Igor in that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he shows up in a couple other things and then he kind of just became more and more of like a bit player in Universal until he kind of just fizzled out himself (laughs) i i I did think for years because there's an alice cooper song called the ballad of dwight fry which is about a guy that goes crazy and is like put away and wants to see his family again i'm like did dwight fry like go crazy and get put in institution but it's he he was just a guy with a family and then he just had like a heart attack one day and and, uh so that 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 is a cool song though we have any Alice Cooper fans. Um. <laughs> so yeah, the boat ends up in London. I think it's like 23 minutes. <laughs> Dracula's just walking around the streets of London. Yeah, this movie moves at a breakneck pace. And I, what I really liked about the shot when he's in London, because yeah, Dracula first shows up in London, and he's walking around in like a top hat. And I got like a very oh, Jack so the Ripper cool. kind of vibe oh, from yeah. it. Yeah. Which we talked about in our first episode when Bram Stoker started writing Dracula. It was only two years after the Jack the Ripper killings. So clearly influenced by that. Yeah, and yeah. kind of the paranoia about like living in a city will get you killed was very fresh on everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to kind of have a shot that was reminiscent of that where Dracula's walking around in the fog. He's got a big top hat on. He just sees a girl leaning up against like a post near like a train station, I think. Yeah. And he kind of just like very slowly descends upon her. It's super creepy. And uh, it is creepy. If I were that girl, I would have ran away (laughs) because it's like the slowest murder in all time. I think. I guess you can just write that off as like vampire hypnotism. Yeah, he's like (laughs) hypnotizing them, I think. I mean, I think pretty straightforwardly. I think the next time you see someone get hypnotized, it's the... She's like, and I'll share at the theater that he goes to, yeah. right? And she, Oh, yeah, that's a power. Dracula has very clear, like, hypnot... He has, like, Jedi yeah. mind trick powers mm-hmm. in this. Do they... They don't really explain... At this point, like, you still don't even know why Dracula's heading to London. Um... I mean, yeah. he's buying. He, he bought the property, obviously. I mean, I guess the motivation for him coming to London is just that he wants to be somewhere where there's more people around him. Yeah, he's just he's kind of like basic monster motivations in this. There's no yeah, like this movie kind of strips away all the sort of sexual subtext and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he just got, and his first stop is uh, the theater. <laughs> yeah, after he uh, he bites that girl. Yeah, is it very? Is it clear what he's doing? When well, I guess he's just going there to to meet Doctor Seward because the property that he bought is next door to the Seward Sanitarium. Right. Yeah. He says Carfax Abbey. Yeah, Which I guess is that's that's from the book, right? Where the uh, Carfax yeah. Abbey is next to the Seward Sanitarium. 
And no, in Nosferatu, so. it's, it's next to Jonathan Harker's house. Oh, it's next to Harker. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, this one. So this is right it's closer the to the book in, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I guess he just knows that they're at the theater. Yeah. And you think like, I guess no one really the stories about Dracula. It's like everyone in that village knew that he was uh, someone you should avoid. I guess those stories like just didn't travel to London because no one knows who Dracula is. Yeah. And that's a little harder to get away with in like 19, you know, 31 when this was made. Like in the 1800s, you can buy that word takes longer to travel, especially if they're like villagers. And in fact, that's where a lot of the drama and tension of Dracula comes from, that it takes a long fucking time to just yeah. communicate even basic messages to people. And Dracula uses all of his like weather powers and all kinds of bullshit to make it to where people don't get things until it's too late. Yeah. But in, yeah, in like this kind of world, it, that's a little bit harder to buy. But I guess you could just say that they're all just remote enough that mm -hmm. word doesn't travel that yeah, far back. I guess so. Yeah. So he shows up at the theater, just introduces himself to Seward, who, as we said earlier, is, uh, is Mina's, Mina's father, father in this one. Yeah. And then you meet Harker and, uh, and Lucy and Lucy wants Dracula to, Mount him, mount him, pretty much. <laughs> Lucy has the hots for Dracula. Yeah, she can't stop talking about him. And that's and that's kind of an interesting kind of spin. And and again, like once you make Dracula sort of a more human and sociable creature, you can kind of play with stuff like that a little more because Dracula kind of finds Lucy in the book by it's kind of just convenience, really. Like it's you know Dracula takes Jonathan Harker, you know. And while they're back in Transylvania and then he travels to London on a boat and he happens to kind of just like wash up in the exact place where Jonathan Harker's fiance happens to be on vacation with Lucy. Right. And, uh, and I don't really, I don't know if in the book, like Dracula is like really aware of Harker's fiance, like beyond like, I don't know. But yeah. in, in this one, they make it a much more kind of personal, like Dracula has a more personal connection with Lucy and they kind of have an attraction. That's why you can buy that you know, Dracula got in and kind of got to her because she made herself vulnerable or maybe, like, invited him in, or mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, he just straight up introduces himself, and <laughs> I like how he do he does that to pretty much everyone in this movie. Uh, when Dracula and Van Helsing meet face-to-face -face for the first time, like, they're really cordial to each other. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Count Dracula, nice to meet you. You know, he's like 20 feet away from Van Helsing. Though but... Van Helsing has a little kind of stank when he meets him, right? Like, he's kind of like, he's... he gives him kind of like a little nod. Like he... Yeah, he's definitely... a little bit of like a mean girl greeting, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but... Yeah. But, but yeah, it is like very cordial and... yeah. It's a very, it's a very like English kind of, right? And they mentioned wolfsbane as being a herb too. Yeah, uh, to it's so it's not garlic. Yeah, there's no garlic in this. That yeah. was something I wanted to bring up. Yeah, which I think that comes from the play as well that it's changed to to wolfsbane. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure why they made that change. I guess it's just wolfsbane sounds more supernatural, maybe. Yeah. And you know they they were worried that people would be like garlic. What like. <laughs> Like we we kind of take for granted now that everyone knows all this vampire stuff, but at some point, you know, Dracula was something that was new and people, you know, weren't super duper familiar with. So right. that could have just been a, an aesthetic choice, I guess, because yeah, Wolfsbane is typically most associated with werewolves. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so that's yeah. that's interesting. Um, we discussed the the reveal that Dracula doesn't have a reflection is really cool. Yeah. It's a cool shot. Cause they like they show that mirror a couple times, I think. Yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, like it's a cigar box, right? Uh huh. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That just happens to have like a mirror inside. Yeah. And then Van Helsing 
doesn't see Dracula's reflection. <laughs> and it, while he's just, you know, talking to someone else and then confronts Dracula with the box and just like opens it yeah. straight in front of his face. Dracula doesn't know there's a mirror in oh it. Oh my God. And then Dracula slaps it out <laughs> yeah. of his hand. And it's, it's like my favorite part of the movie. I don't know why, like, it's, you know, there are other adaptations of Dracula where there's, like, bigger action and, like, crazier things happen, but, just, like, little moments like that, to mm-hmm. me, are, like, so much more memorable. Yeah, Where it's just, like, two people across from each other just having, like, this very, like, you, you, like, even though there's no, like, fighting, like, you really get that they just, like, they're enemies from those shots. Yeah. Like, that they're... You like and also there's so he, much tension when he slaps it out of his hand. He does it like right in front of Jonathan Harker and Seward, and then he's just like, "I just like mirrors." Van Helsing will tell you what that's about, and then he like jumps out the window, right? Or he just like leaves the room. Well, he leaves, and then Jonathan Harker chases after him with, in his giant pantaloons, and he's like, "And that's oh, there's he, a dog out a there, huge dog." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Or a wolf." Yeah. Everyone's like, "What are you talking huge about, Guile Doctor?" <laughs> You'd think if he could shapeshift into anything, he wouldn't, like, he would just, he would, like, make his own thing, like, some beastly figure, not necessarily just, like, a huge dog. Well, I mean, I guess he's just trying to blend. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, you don't want to turn into, like, a like an H.P. Lovecraft character if you're yeah. trying to, like, blend in on the streets like the of Coppola, London. Like, the Coppola wolf Dracula is pretty scary. Looks much more like a wolf man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so Van Helsing kind of catches on to everything. He figures out that that Dracula must rest by day in its native soil. Um, so this is like yeah. 45 minutes in and we finally like get all like the rules and like kind of get an idea of what Dracula's up yeah. to. Which is, I, I, that's really good pacing and everything. You yeah. get that Dracula's a menace. You, you know enough about vampires to be afraid of them and then you get at the very end you start getting the rules and how to defeat them it's, yeah yeah it's well paced from an unfilmable book it's it does like a really good job of and a talking feature from 1931 <laughs> you know when they're still just like figuring out how you know to have people talking and should we have music and sound at the same time for yeah. that to be all you um, know in place yeah there's also that housekeeper who she's <laughs> I don't know if she's just a bad actress or if it's just like a poorly <laughs> written line, but she comes in, she's like, Mina, Mina, she's dead. Like, it was basically like she said that with the amount of concern. Don't you mean, that she you mean would. Lucy? Oh, Lucy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. She thinks that Mina, it's Mina oh, who's yeah. dead, but it, she's not actually dead. Um, but she <laughs> just walks in, she's like, Mina, she's out there and she's dead. It's like the same amount of concern that you would show if like, you saw a squirrel getting hit by a car <laughs> or something. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like the, the bit players in this are so bad. Like, Yeah, so, yeah, the wor- so that worker at the sanitarium. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's for some reason, this is something that shows up in a lot of early Universal movies. It's just like the bad comedy relief mm-hmm. side character who's just like, super hammy and adds like nothing to the plot yeah so there's like a a sanitarium worker who's played by some asshole i don't know (laughs) he's got a big stupid mustache and and, like he's got like the worst haircut it's like a like if justin bieber's haircut and like donald trump's haircut like had a baby together like on someone's head and it's just awful looking and uh and yeah and like everything he like he makes 
I can't even do the voice. Like he makes like Dick Van Dyke's Cockney <laughs> accent seem like subtle and nuanced. Like it's oh boy, like yeah. I think Renfield's escaped again, and he's just, just like cringy. incompetent. And... Yeah, and why is Renfield always escaping? And why is Renfield? Just in his, like, business casual clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, he's not even, like, he's he's dressed very well for being someone who's been, like, institutionalized for a while. He should be in a straitjacket. Like, they've done that in other adaptations, too. Why wouldn't they just do that? It's, I don't know. But, yeah, he's, like, so incompetent. They're like, put Renfield away so he doesn't escape. He's like, I'll put him away, but I can't (laughs) promise that he won't get out again. And, like... And he's like, everyone around here is crazy, and I have my doubts about you. And just yeah. like, it, like there's so like that's something that happens in so many Universal movies. Like if you ever watch like The Invisible Man mm-hmm. with Claude Rains, mm-hmm. there's like a character in there who's just like this woman who's just like who I think she like owns the inn that the Invisible Man stays at, and yeah. just like in her entire existence is so like she can walk in while the Invisible Man's like undoing his head scarf, and you don't see a head or anything. She just goes like. Whoa! Yeah. and then like runs away like that was a man and he had no head like and and like she adds nothing else to the movie she just ex- exists to just like have just like these stupid ass like reaction just like like yeah. moments and that and yeah the sanitarium worker is that character for this and it is interesting though to see that they've been doing like even like the most dramatic serious or like horror movie like they were still like oh no we have to throw in some comic relief there people yeah. are gonna say it's too dark so it's like and they, they still do that now like even like the darkest comic book movie like it's pretty clear they're like all right let's get someone to write a few jokes and put them in there <laughs> yeah um well yeah and they were you know they were hesitant to put this out to begin with because this was their first horror movie too yeah. so they're like you know we need to you know we, we have all these old vaudeville actors here this that's probably where they're from they were probably just like old oh, yeah. burlesque like vaudeville yeah. comedy actors and yeah definitely and, um so eventually they discover um dracula's coffin and yeah uh helsing knows exactly what to do yeah because well dracula abducts mina right yeah oh yeah also mina breaks up with harker and she's really shitty about it. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, at this point, like, Dracula's begin eating her, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Lucy's died. She dies very quickly, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And uh, and she's very briefly referenced as, like, being up and walking around mm-hmm. and eating children. And you see her once in white, and then she's... That's her entire role in the movie. And then Dracula starts eating Mina. Yeah. And then Mina breaks up with Jonathan Harker. Yeah. She's just like, it has to be this way. Sorry. <laughs> deal with it <laughs> um uh, which i don't blame her because jonathan harker is like a, a like a nothing person yeah There's i mean she's probably just table. concerned you know because she's you know being eaten by vampires but even if she wasn't eaten by vampires i would advise yeah. uh, not dating him absolutely uh so they discover dracula's coffin helsing brings a stake yeah and, and all this takes Dracula place in Carfax Abbey, yeah. Yeah, and Dracula just gets killed off screen. You just kind of hear him moaning. Yeah, so, yeah, like, Renfield runs away, and he runs into Dracula's castle, and then uh, Dracula's like, you led them to me, and then he gets mad at Renfield and pushes him down the stairs, <laughs> and Renfield slowly falls down the stairs, and he's dead, I guess. Yeah. It's, like, such a goofy shot of him just, like, rolling down the stairs. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, so, like, Van Helsing and, yeah, Harker go into the castle, and they find Dracula in his box, and then, uh, you know, 
Jonathan Harker's like, I'll go find Mina while you take care of Dracula. And, you know, we see uh, Van Helsing break off a stake. And then mm-hmm. while Harker's getting Mina, you kind of hear just like, Ooh. oh, and that's like <laughs> how Dracula dies. And then Mina comes out of her trance. You don't even see Dracula's like, af- you know, Not remains big. afterwards. Nothing. Nothing. You know, Harker and Mina walk down the stairs of the castle. Yeah. And then a-, a universal picture shows up on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And that's the end of the movie. That's it. No, it has even, a real weak sauce ending. It's not even any music. Like even Nosferatu has a kind of a metal ending, you know, where he's like eating on her and then the sun comes up and then he just turns in that little smoky spot. Like, yeah, that's something like they could have reused Swan Lake again at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no music at the end. It Nothing. just like it stops. Yeah. It's almost like the movie's like insulting you. It feels like it doesn't have an ending. Yeah. Like it's the kind of ending where like if you like got up to like, you know, like, you know, go to the bathroom or something real quick in the middle, you come back, you'd be like, wait, what did I fucking miss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't miss anything because nothing happens. Yeah. Uh yeah, so that's the That's the whole movie. That's the whole movie. Um I do like like uh I don't know, we haven't been we maybe we, we should tack on like a grading scale like how much like how many stars or how many <laughs> cloves of garlic we uh give this movie. okay yeah we could we could start doing that um yeah so i yeah would you well first of all would you recommend people watching this just in general yeah absolutely it's a great adaptation as we say it does a great job of condensing the whole story without feeling like they weren't faithful yeah um yeah, it's a good one. I, I, I too would recommend it. And uh, and if you want to see something interesting, like we said, this movie definitely has its faults, but Bela Lugosi's performance is really what elevates it. Mm-hmm. The iconic shots are really iconic. There's a lot of good tension, even in the kind of just like one room where everything happens kind of situations yeah. where people are, you know, bouncing off each other well. There's good chemistry between the actors, even the boring ones. Uh, if you want to see an example of like why the acting really makes this movie so much, you should watch. If you buy the DVD or Blu-ray version of this, it has the Spanish language version of Dracula on it. Yes. Which we watched a few. We watched. We a watched a couple minutes that, yeah. of this. So for those of you that don't know, when they shot this movie in the 30s, they would like shoot all day with like American, you know, language actors and American directors and, and everything. Stars, yeah. And then they would rap for the day, and then on the exact same sets, an entire <laughs> Spanish production would show up, and there'd be Spanish actors, Spanish directors, Spanish crew. They would use all the exact same sets, and they would basically film the exact same movie shot for shot. So and Todd Browning directed all of this. Oh, yeah, so it's George Melford is who directed it. But uh, a lot of people say that directorial-wise, like, the Spanish-language Dracula is better, like, shot composition and stuff. Because, really? Because when those crews came in, they got to watch the dailies of everything that the American crew had already shot, so they were able to look at things and then kind of they figure kind of out like how to do it a, it a little, little bit, bit better. Yeah, yeah. But the guy that plays Dracula in that is so goofy. Has <laughs> Has anyone done in like kind of like an edit so that Bella Lugosi's still in that version? Oh my god, that would be great. I'm yeah. You would probably once you get to like the opera scenes, you would have to do some rotoscoping probably to make it work. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of it, yeah, because as you talked about, there are a lot of shots of Dracula that kind of seem like disconnected, mm-hmm. where it's just like a big shot of him, and it's a cool shot. You can almost kind of just like stick it anywhere in the yeah. movie, and it would work. Yeah. Where it's just like fogs behind him, and he's kind of just like standing there looking. And they're used a lot, you know, when he's like feasting on Mina. But yeah, yeah you could just take a couple of those, plug it into the Spanish language one, and yeah. So there was the uh, the american release the spanish release and then there was a silent version of the film released as well i guess it had oh subtitles. really yeah because um some theaters still didn't have they weren't sound for sound yet yeah That's it's interesting. kind of like how like the 3d 
like 3d versions of movies only play like in certain theaters because yeah they can't and you have like the 2d downscaled or or like when stereo music came out how mm-hmm. like there'd be like a mono mix of an album and like yeah. a stereo mix yeah like yeah. people like like the mono versions of the beatles albums better because that's the one that they put a lot of effort in because they were just like they thought stereo was a gimmick that no one would give a shit about right I just, it's, I wonder like what the silent version, like, did it just have closed captions or did it like or cut down? Maybe it had like inner titles it or must something. Have. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they just kind of. And they probably yeah, cut down on stuff. Yeah. I, that would be, that would be interesting to see because there are a lot of scenes in this where there's like big monologues. Cause again, this is a play that's been adapted into a movie, you know, like Renfield for being someone who's like, you know, categorically insane has these like long, beautiful monologues mm-hmm. where he's like describing how Dracula showed up on the lawn and in a red mist had like a billion <laughs> rats for him. Yeah. And uh, you get to see none of this, mind you, because this is the Todd Browning Dracula. But the description of it's very cool. Yeah. And uh, I would just imagining trying to like read that on like an you know like an inner title card that that would probably be. Yeah. Pretty pretty crazy. So. Um, but uh. There was a sequel, direct sequel to this. There is a direct sequel to Dracula's this. Dracula's daughter. Dracula's daughter, which this is that's interesting because. We've talked a little bit about the gay influences that are in the novel Dracula, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like the whole Jonathan Harker scene kind of, you know, being like, you know, Dracula having an attraction to him. And that's why he kept him around for so long and all that. And a lot of that and well, all of that basically is stripped away from the 1931 Dracula. It's a very mm-hmm. heteronormative uh, romance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but Dracula's daughter is like the most covertly a lesbian movie ever like, oh, wow. made awesome for for that time period is you know for a horror movie because yeah dracula's daughter is uh yeah it's a 1936 so, movie i'm sorry that sounded so bro of me i'm like awesome <laughs> oh yeah no, I, I just mean it's cool that that yeah that was that they were doing that in the oh yeah and I, and I don't mean like a like a it's a lesbian movie like in a yeah. in like a creepy sleazy way like it's yeah we it has clarify like, we're not creepy no, like it's we we think it's it's this is yeah really it's it's really cool it's uh because yeah it follows uh Count Dracula's daughter Countess Maria Zaleska, huh. which how the fuck Dracula has a daughter I don't know, <laughs> but she uh she's a vampire but she doesn't want to be a vampire mm-hmm. and she thinks after Dracula's death that she'll be cured of her vampirism and then she isn't so she seeks out a psychiatrist to help cure of her vampirism yeah and uh, and it's very reminiscent of how like people in the 30s thought that homosexuality was like a mental disorder and there's a lot of dialogue you know like now that dracula's dead maybe i'll be able to think normal things and have normal thoughts and and uh and it's also not helped by the fact that she seems to have basically exclusively female victims in this movie Hmm. like there's an entire scene where she gets a girl back to her place to like pose nude for her because she's into like nude model drawing and then like almost attacks her and it's it's very it's like yeah it's it's Uh, like next to like nightmare on elm street 2 it's like the most like like gay movie without being directly gay that's ever been made that's a pretty gay it feels like so van helsing is the same actor um it's yeah it's the same actor in this and you get to see dracula very briefly at the beginning as a paper mache dummy because they show <laughs> the aftermath of him being staked and it's like it looks like mr bill so he's like not even he's, he's not, not even, even in it at all yeah uh but yeah dracula's daughter is really cool i probably didn't do a good job describing the the gay uh, yeah. undertones i'm i'm a very painfully straight person i don't mean to be like 
dismissive or, or anything. It's uh, yeah, it's very cool. I really like it. You can read uh, a lot more. It, there's a, a there sizable chunk several on articles it. Yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there, yeah, Universal made several sequels to Dracula. They made Son of Dracula, starring Lon Chaney Jr. at his like bloatiest and drunkest. <laughs> uh, and then they, and then after that, he kind of just shows up in a bunch of other uh, crossover movies that Universal did. Because as the monster movies started selling less and less, they started just cramming them in movies together. Yeah, almost kind of like the original Marvel universe, um, where it's, you had like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah, and, House of Yeah. Yes, House yeah, of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. House of Dracula, where he's played, Dracula's played by John Carradine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because interestingly enough, uh, Bela Lugosi, for someone who's so uh, identified with Dracula in movies, he only played Dracula one other time. In Abbott and Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein. Yeah. He plays another vampire in a movie called Return of the Vampire, where he's basically playing Dracula again, but they just legally couldn't call him Dracula. Yeah. He's just called something else. And he was known to kind of show up in like the 40s and 50s on like variety shows and radio shows That's and like his right. costume. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, when you watch like on Ed Wood. Ed Wood, yeah. Yeah, when he right. shows up and he's like, I'm the count. Like he did shit like that a lot. Yeah. But as far as movies, yeah, he only ever showed up again as. As his character in yeah, Abbott yeah, Costello meets Frankenstein, which was one of the very last Universal classic monster movies. Yeah, it's such a sad scene. You reminded me of in Ed Wood, where he's <laughs> he's doing one of those shitty uh, '60s variety, '50s variety shows, and like he has to like read these lines, and he can't. He's just like confused because the guy like threw him off. Yeah. Oh yeah, he like ad libbed on and the spot, like, and he yeah, just couldn't like, recover. It's like on live TV. It's super. Oh. Ed Wood's a great movie. Ed Wood watch, is good. Watch Ed Wood. Though, interestingly, like, Ed Wood, the, well, Martin Lando does a great job playing Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. but he's shown as being, like, very hateful toward Boris Karloff in that, mm-hmm. and they didn't have quite the hatred that that movie makes them out to be. I yeah. think I think Bela Lugosi was probably a little resentful that Boris Karloff went on to have a career after right. Frankenstein that was a little bit more, you know, diversified and yeah. everything, because... Yeah. Because, like, Dracula was so much Bela Lugosi and his personality, and I think he had problems getting other roles after Dracula because, you know, Dracula's voice is basically Bela Lugosi's voice. Yeah. Like, he is the character. Yeah. Whereas Boris Karloff, when he played Frankenstein, it's, you know, makeup appliances, mm-hmm. and you can easily go from there to, like, a speaking role or do whatever. And then, you know, and Bela Lugosi actually turned down the role of Frankenstein because he thought it was undignified because it was, like, non-speaking. Didn't, did Boris Karloff ever play Dracula? Boris Karloff never played Dracula. No, he did Frankenstein. But Bela Lugosi later went on to play Frankenstein. Right, Once right. in the movie Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, where his dialogue was deemed so comical after the fact, because people couldn't take it seriously, that it was like Bela Lugosi's voice coming out of Frankenstein, that they cut all the speaking parts out of it. Oh, my God. Because at that point in the Frankenstein chronology, I think... Well, because Bela Lugosi plays Igor in Ghost of Frankenstein, I think, uh-huh. and Son of Frankenstein, which the original Igor wasn't a hunchback. He had a broken neck from when he was hanged, and he wasn't <laughs> hanged right, and he escaped, so he has just, like, a broken neck, so that's where, like, the original Igor hunchback comes from. Yeah. Uh, but Igor's brain is transferred into Frankenstein's body <laughs> at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein because these movies turn to shit very oh, quickly. Ghost of Frankenstein. And uh, so in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, yeah, they just straight up had Bela Lugosi play Frankenstein. And I think Bela Lugosi only agreed because he had speaking roles mm-hmm. and he didn't want to just be like a, a grunting monster, which is why he turned out the original Frankenstein. And then in editing, they turned him into that yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, oh, man. Can't win. It was, yeah, it's it's so sad. you like, Bela Lugosi, yeah, he, you know, in... Boris Karloff went on to do like Black Sabbath and, you know, when he was like in The Grinch, 
you know, he was the narrator of the original Grinch special. Oh, yeah. And he like, he, yeah. you know, he kind of went on to have like this, you know, Vincent Price kind of like grandfatherly kind of horror yeah. figure role. And then yeah. Bella Lugosi had to go on to do like Ed Wood movies <laughs> and like. Which is, you know, kind of, it's interesting in its own way. I mean, it's, it's cool in its own way. <laughs> oh yeah. Like um, I, I think, I think Bella Lugosi was definitely proud of Dracula. Like it, it was kind of a double-edged sword for him where he was obviously very proud of what he created, but at the same time he couldn't do anything outside of it really it felt mm -hmm. and i think he even returned to dracula on stage a couple times after the movie too and had good runs with it but yeah so like i don't think he hated boris karloff but he was definitely kind of envious of what boris karloff achieved mm -hmm. and and yeah. they had and they professionally worked together well they appeared in several movies together mm -hmm. like you know like we said son of frankenstein boris karloff is frankenstein in that yeah bella Gosi does a great job playing igor um so yeah so that's kind of like the history of the universal series of dracula movies i'm trying to think of anything else that we've left out oh yeah so we could talk about the pop cultural influence of this mm -hmm. dracula in general you know how like we said this is probably the most memorable looking dracula when you visualize dracula it's almost certainly a variation of this costume look yeah. attitude voice uh Oddly, I don't think Dracula has fangs in this one. No, you never see any fangs. You never see any fangs. Yeah, that's so a good that's point. so that's something that'll that comes from your mind somewhere else. But otherwise, visually, yeah. like it's this Dracula that you're probably visualizing. When did they start introducing the fangs? Then I guess it's probably the Christopher Lee one, which we'll talk yeah, about that's next time. Right. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it was interesting when I was watching the 1931 Dracula to get ready for this. My roommate and his boyfriend were in the room, and they were watching along with us. And my roommate was like, it's so weird, like, because I'm watching this, and all I can think of is the Count from Sesame Street. And it's like, it's so weird to think of that that's where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, 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 totally. And so that's, you know. Yeah, he's the Count. That's something. Um, um, yeah, what other... Uh... I don't, well, yeah, like this basic design, you know, shows up in like the Monster Squad. If you ever saw Monster Squad oh, in the yeah. 80s. Great movie. Um, it's like, yeah, anytime there's like like a central casting Dracula, it's this look. <laughs> if you Google Dracula Halloween costume, it's like a bad stock image of this yeah. costume 9,000 times. Yeah. It is, it is the Dracula look for better or worse. Yeah. And the, I mean, like you said, the Christopher Lee one brought in the fangs but i feel like the, the christopher fangs, yeah. lee is like based on the bella lugosi look it is based on that look yeah and they bring a little bit of the the monster of kind of earlier dracula's back yeah uh you know he has the red contact lenses and the fangs and the kind mm -hmm. of white streaks around the hair kind of give yeah. him a little bit of an edge yeah uh but yeah it's it's all just building upon stuff that you know bella lugosi did yeah the tuxedo look is all him the yep. medallions all him Cape. the the mannerisms voice all some all those like good iconic lines like i don't drink yeah. wine like this is probably the most quotable dracula movie i'll say yeah, that definitely um you know it's like for a man that's only lived one lifetime van helsing you know you're a whatever yeah. that whole line is and, there are far far worse things awaiting awaiting man than death <laughs> yeah like that yeah so much good stuff yeah you know, like we know why the wolves speak, don't we, Mister Renfield? <laughs> um, so, what's the next episode? So, on our next episode, we'll be talking about the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing movie, Dracula, or as released in North America, Horror of Dracula. 
so to not confuse with right. these Draculas. And we'll talk a little bit about that whole series of films. Yes. And uh, and kind of do to that what we did to this. So uh, Cool. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I don't think so. All right. So from us here at Hacks on Drac, we want to say good, good evening. evening. <laughs>